resting in the awareness of sounds. Not needing to bend the mind toward nor away from anything. Just allowing with a receptive attention sounds to appear in the sphere of hearing. anchored in the awareness of sounds without depending upon the sounds, aware just as much as the silence between the sounds. Allowing the awareness to gather into a spacious focus. Of appearing sounds. Continuing with the spacious focus, just shifting from the sound sphere to sensation sphere. Aware. Of the appearing sensations comprising our experience of body. Not needing to search for anything in particular. 
feeling at first perhaps just the contours of the body. And then allowing the awareness simply to saturate into the depths of our experience of the body. Then coming to rest in the awareness of your primary anchor at the abdomen or chest, tip of the nose. using just that effort in just this moment to connect and sustain your awareness with a single movement of the abdomen, feeling the sensations within that movement, or a single inflow of sensation at the tip of the nose or upper lip. And then again, just that effort needed to connect and sustain your attention with the falling motion or relaxation or contraction at the abdomen. Or the outflow stream of sensation at the tip of the nose. using your own wise discrimination to determine whether to stay with your primary anchor, to cultivate and collect the mind, or allowing it to open in a choiceless awareness of all the happenings of the mind and body as they appear. anchored in the awareness of these happenings, moment to moment. Noticing, if you can, their unique nuances and characteristics 
<clears throat> as well as their universal behavior of change and movement. Connecting with whatever appears and sustaining the awareness of that phenomena until it fades, it passes away. Checking the quality of your awareness occasionally for that balance of soft receptivity and firm, clear presence. Do you have any questions this morning on Dhamma practice? Um, depends. Sometimes just noticing the thought, it does, it just disappears. There's nothing there to explore. The exploration, the examination, is not about the content, uh, usually. It's more about the experience itself of thinking, of planning mind. That is the awareness that planning mind is happening, or memory, or fantasy, or wondering. <coughs> or analyzing and commenting, becoming familiar and aware through examination that this is what the mind does, taking the interest in that level of it. Quite often, thoughts do draw us in. They're compelling for whatever reasons. We get hooked into them. Um, And sometimes when that happens, I recommend kind of entering that fantasy stream in Aikido fashion where you... Bring awareness into it, and then notice what's happening within that, within that fantasy or that imagination. If you're working on something, uh, you notice that, working. If you're talking to somebody, you notice that, talking. So rather than get into a struggle with trying to push it away, if it's so compelling, you actually first just try to blend with the energy of it. That is, the mindfulness blends with the energy of it and notices, and just following along as best you can with it. And then as it begins to fade, or become more transparent or less compelling, you can come again to rest with your either primary anchor or body or whatever else you may be noticing. The other thing you can do 
is if it is very compelling, like your example of, uh, of working, what you might do in your future, you might notice if there is a hidden, unacknowledged mental state behind it. Expectation, anticipation, anxiety, something that you're not really uh, aware of. And because you're not aware of, it is actually the fuel for the compelling nature of that, of that fantasy. Just to look beneath it for any possible emotive force there. Yes? For moments, usually only in pure tranquility meditation do you reach places where they don't come up at all. In Vipassana, they don't usually stop for long. They may be more intermittent or they may be more in the background and they may be far less of a kind of uh, acting as a hindrance or an obstacle. Uh, just, they're just more like transparent. You see them, and they've become more... You see them more impartially. The thought, the sound, sensation, really all the same in the field of happenings. Question is <laughs> what to do? Did you all hear what the question might be? <laughs> it's uh, when, when he's very uh, open and, um, and soft and tender toward strong emotional states that might arise and quite naturally without force uh, comes close to them and then sometimes feels kind of um, in the center of them as if it's a, an open wound. Uh, but then 
discovers that he's in out of contact with, with life as he knew it. Uh, that is, what I assume you're saying is that uh, you're, you're kind of lost, you know that intellectually, but you're sort of caught in that... Right, okay. How I would respond to that initially is that strong emotions uh, are, have a certain degree or amount or breadth of energy. They, they are a lot of energy. And to work with strong emotions, our own awareness needs to be held by a lot of energy. And it's really important to, to assess or that strength, that energy at the time when we go close, when we get near to strong emotions. It's like real strong emotions are kind of like uh, radioactive, you know. And if you get too close without your asbestos suit, you know, you get, you'll, get a little, you'll get burned. The asbestos suit is when you have that strength, when you have that energy, and you can go closer into it, feel it more. It's the feeling of strong emotions that's the healing of them, that is the awareness of them, that is the possibility of them transforming. But if we don't have the strength for it, we do get burned or we get caught or we get absorbed or we drown in them. Uh, we go into a black hole, as it may be. What I find very helpful is if when strong emotions are present, if you, can, if you can locate them somewhere in the body. So say, for example, you feel a strong emotion in the area of your abdomen. And that's where the sensations are that are the the sensate correlates to that emotion. So as you get close to it, uh, you can kind of, uh, with your mind, localize the power of that emotion within those sensations. That way, you you can begin to feel the outer edges of that radiation. You can begin to feel when it's getting when you're getting lost or pulled in, when it feels like a black hole, you feel like you're being burned, or however your experience might be, and you can stay away from it. That is, it's a skillful kind of distance or retreat. It's not checking out, it's not disconnecting. It's sort of a wise relationship with it. And you just feel the outer edges of it. And as you feel stronger, you can go in more. As you, if you feel the lack of energy or strength, you back off. Sometimes it may feel... Uh, to consume your whole body. In that, in that case, you need to find a, a safer, more neutral uh, rest for your awareness, and that might be sounds, or the sense of space around your body. But wherever it is, it's that sense. By doing it with the body, it's, it's helping the awareness do it with the, the emotive body of, of your, in the heart, in the mind. You just know how close or how much distance that's skillful at that time. And that's the way I recommend working with it. Okay. Yes. You asked a question about what I think is there and there. Sometimes when I'm sitting, I just suspend thought. It's a volitional act. Just to sit, just to be. And at times when I want to examine something and not carry the emotional, not, not the emotional, conceptual baggage with it, I'll say, just look, say an ache in the body. Just look at the ache, suspend concepts and with some energy and with a, a volitional act I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're supposed to be doing? I think you could do that at times as a skillful means. I don't think it's helpful to get into the habit of of willing 
the conceptual layer of our experience to cease. It's just as important to see how the mind works as it is to, to notice the ache in the body or anything else. So at times you may feel, because of the presence of some other experience that you want to explore, and you may feel the impingement of a conceptual overlay, and you may be able to feel that you can kind of slide through it or underneath it and so forth. At that time you may, you may experiment with that, but I wouldn't by force of will just say, you know, try to intentionally suspend thought. Right. 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 But when I have the, oh, I've got a toothache, Right. No, I understand. It's actually helpful to be mindful, you know, not even to relate to it particularly as baggage. It's just our conditioning. We do carry that, and you know, the I, pain itself is a concept, and uh, quite naturally we fall into a reactiveness relationship with that. Uh, but it's just to begin to see the reactiveness, because that helps decondition that tendency rather than kind of force of will, to see the thoughts and ideas come up about it, and then let the awareness just soften in to what it is that we're calling pain, that is opening up to the actual sensations of heat and pressure and tension and throbbing and twisting, just to know it as it is that way, in a very direct way, without feeling that we have to escape anything. You see the difference? Right, right. 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 If you, if instead of you see it as the as the energy getting away from the concept, as instead the energy that you attend to the actual experience of the pain, you might find it less of a struggle because I'm sensing somewhat of a struggle, and I'm trying to help remove the sense of a struggle. You see, so aware of the tendency of the concepts to overlay, but using the energy actually to stay connected to and sustained with the actual experience of pain. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's all for today. Thank you. Maybe sometimes during the sitting when various states of aversion arise, perhaps experienced as anger, impatience, fear, disappointment, any of these states that are striking out against what is happening. If such a time arises and you notice it, See if you can make it the object of your awareness in the meditation. It means being relaxed, allowing it to be there, recognizing it for what it is. Use the mental note to point the attention directly to the experience, not deeming it good or bad, right or wrong, without elaboration, judgment, analysis, simply to recognize this is the truth of the present moment. This is aversion. 
If it's strong enough, you might feel it in the body, its various sensations, or you may just experience it in the mind as a mood, whatever, to rest at ease in the awareness of the aversion. Maybe times that sleepiness or sloth arises. Once again, see if you can observe the nature of that state. Make it the object of the meditation rather than defining it as the enemy that needs to go away in order for practice to really happen. Keep the attention clearly aimed towards this very moment, this experience, (coughs) what's happening in the body, what's happening in the mind. Does the mind brighten as you look at the dullness? If it gets very strong and you feel yourself to be out of balance, then very gently you can try to bring the mind into balance, sit up a little straighter, take some deep breaths, perhaps open your eyes, or stand up. Continue the meditation practice standing. Be as inclusive as possible of these states so that they genuinely function as objects of meditation. Did anybody have any aversion or sleepiness? (laughs) Do you have any questions about that or about anything in the practice? Yeah. Why does sleepiness arise? Why does sleepiness arise? Mm-hmm. No, actually, um, <laughs> why questions are difficult. Uh, there are a lot of different reasons why sleepiness arises, some of which are um, actually signs that the meditation is growing stronger, much to one's amazement. Um, if you go back to that image I used in the, be- in the very beginning of tranquility and alertness, and have that in some sense as a model of the range of qualities that all get developed in the meditation. Um, Sometimes the qualities that are on the tranquil side of things are developing at a faster rate than the qualities that are on the alert, up, energetic side of things. And so the mind, as we get more concentrated, will be getting more tranquil, have more equanimity, be more peaceful without quite enough energy to match the depth of that quiet. And so the first step is often a kind of dreamy, drifty state 
we're kind of oozing along very pleasantly, and we like it, but it's not very clear. And if that deepens significantly, then we'll just be sleepy. You know, so sometimes sleepiness is not a sign of lack of concentration. It's a sign of too much concentration for the amount of energy or energetic qualities that are present in that moment to balance it. Um, that's one of the reasons that it is so difficult to interpret one's own practice. You know, because we would tend to have an experience like sleepiness and say, oh, this is necessarily a sign that there's not enough concentration, things aren't going well, and so on. Whereas really it might be just the opposite. You know, so um, sometimes it's that, sometimes it is that one needs rest. <laughs> sometimes um, there's something difficult peaking up, you know, and there's a kind of shutdown mechanism where it's, it's a little difficult to be with that sensation, emotion, memory, whatever it is. And so the mind starts to fog out a little bit. Just, there's a whole host of reasons. They're all just permanent and they're just there to be experienced. No. Exactly. (laughs) Um, It goes back to uh, an understanding of the purpose of the practice, of this particular practice, you know, which is not really to attain a state of bliss, nice as though, you know, as that can be, um, and then to try to hold it or sustain it in some way. It is really relying upon the freedom of awareness which can go anywhere, which isn't limited and isn't um, distorted by what it's looking at. You know, sometimes, you know, I tell the story about the time when I was sitting with Sayadaw Upandita in 1984, and I would go in many times to his room for interviews with a wonderful story about a great experience that I'd had, and he would look at me and he would say, well, did you note it? And I'd think, doesn't he understand how exciting it was? You know, like, (laughs) and I'd go in many, many times with a very sad story about a difficult, painful, awful experience, and he would look at me and say, well, did you note it? And I'd think, doesn't he see that it was, you know, like... But as um, irritating as one could find that, that instruction, I began to appreciate the austerity and the purity of the practice, that he wasn't so concerned about my ups and downs per se. He was constantly concerned about whether I could be aware of it. You know, noting it is both the literal technique of making the mental label, and it's also the way we say, could you be aware of it? And not just aware of it, you know, with resentment and wanting it to go away, but can you actually be aware of it 
with balance of mind and fully connect to it, you know, without adding greed, aversion, and, and delusion to that experience. And that is really what the practice is, is can you note it? Did you note it? You know, and the, the range of experiences as we open inside can get very wide, you know, some fantastic states of beauty and joy and some really difficult states, you know, that, that maybe we wouldn't look at in ordinary life, you know, but this is it, you know, this is the opportunity to really experience this whole range. Sometimes the range is quite narrow, you know, there's not much going on, but it doesn't matter. You know, what, what matters ultimately is our ability to be aware of it in any moment. Yeah, definitely. It's it's for everybody. I think there's just a certain um, range of experience that is much more difficult than others. You know, for whatever reason, um, in our background, in our conditioning, in our imagination, in our belief systems. You know, there's there's a whole host of things that affect how we are relating to what is going on. But that's another reason why the mental noting can be a useful tool, because it's a great feedback system right in that moment. You know, you can hear, as you say the word, oh, aversion or anger. You can hear if you're saying it like that, or if you're saying anger, (laughs) you know, or something uh, that really reflects how we are relating to that state. Mm-hmm. Letting go of unwholesome states, mm-hmm. not to see that as having a preference. So, mm-hmm. in response to what you're, you're saying, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite slippery. Yeah, it is. Well, it's different levels, really, or different angles upon the practice. Um, in order to do the practice of vipassana, the bottom line really is is insight. It's seeing the true nature of things. And so rather than trying to get and hold anything, it's really seeing the impermanent nature. It's seeing that it's essenceless, that it's, there's nothing there, really. Um, from that state, we can actually cultivate the wholesome and let go of the unwholesome. You know, if, if a, an unskillful or unwholesome thought or feeling arises, it is both impermanent and consequential if we follow it out. You know, the fact that it's impermanent or the fact that it's empty doesn't mean that it's not consequential. You know, if that force of anger gets very strong and we identify with it and we get lost in it and, you know, somebody leaps up in the middle of this room and jumps on somebody else and starts pounding their head against the floor, <laughs> you know, that is a consequential act. It, it has a karmic, a karmic residue, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> but <laughs> if you can see the state of anger, however strong, and genuinely experience it in the moment as coming and going, if you can see right through it, to the fact that it has no substance, that it is conditions coming together in a certain way. And as those conditions change, it just breaks apart, that there's nothing there. 
um, then you are not very likely to fall into it, to jump up and start beating up on this person. You know, that wisdom is actually the root of wholesome action in that way. You know, they're, they're both, they coexist simultaneously. Things are ultimately empty, impermanent, unsatisfactory, and at the same time, they have their own unique nature in terms of that which leads to suffering and that which leads to the end of suffering. You know, if you can't cut it at its root, if you can't see through it, if you can't see that it's impermanent, and you begin to identify with it, then there are a whole host of skillful things to do. You know, to reflect, to understand its suffering nature, that if I buy into this, if this defines my action, there will be suffering. I don't need to do that. You know, to remember the force of metta, for example. There's nothing wrong with bringing that in. You know, if a state of anger is very strong and you don't feel that you can watch it, you can be with it at that time. To feel some metta for oneself because that anger is very painful. To see if you can find a place of connection with this other being because sometimes there is both. You know, there is, there is the anger and there's also the ability to connect and so on. You know, so we work in all ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're really um, they're two quite different options at that time. Well, of course, basically, it's also remembering those times are natural. You know that they're going to happen. That it's not a sign that things have gone terribly wrong. You know, um, but that it's part of the the ebb and flow. It's just the changing nature of things. Um, to bring it into some balance, you can try to really simplify your practice in that moment. To be with the breath, but not in a, a way of really trying to investigate the sensations, just for the mind to get some rest. Okay. Okay. Well, the other option, <laughs> which is, is the opposite, is really to settle back and to not be making any effort towards a pinpointed awareness, but in a sense to frame the whole experience of being scattered. It's like to feel the wild flows of energy, you know, to see the um, constant churning out of thoughts or plans or whatever it is, and to just stay as relaxed as you can. It's like you're settling back in a very comfortable chair and you're watching a movie. You know, it's the scattered movie. And the mind and the body are doing whatever they're doing, um, and that's okay, because that is actually your object in that time. But it needs, a, it needs that big picture kind of sensibility. It's, it's a little bit like, um, sometimes we use the example of putting a wide-angle lens on a camera. You know, you have to really be taking it all in and not trying in that time to be very minute in the attention. You know, so both options are, are really there. Well, <laughs> then I would say I would actually do that for a little while, like not try to do that for an hour. You know, do it for um, maybe half an hour and then walk. You know, when you walk, walk outside. Because sometimes both the spaciousness of that and the 
um, grounding of the energy is helpful. And then come back in and sit for half an hour at the most. You know, and then go out again. And sometimes when people start practice in Burma, they're told to sit for five minutes and walk for five minutes. You know, and then that's gradually increased so that they sit for ten minutes and walk for ten minutes and you know, it kind of expands until it becomes an hour and an hour. But there's nothing sacred about about that, you know, that uh, formulation of the day. You can see what what's working in any you know in any given time. Probably shouldn't sit in here if you're going to get up every ten minutes. <gasps> but you know, uh, not to try to force yourself into that mold of being still for an hour. Well, if it's necessary, then it's fine. You know, you might, if you, if you have a feeling that's the way things are going, you know, you might not sit in here for that particular time. You know, you can sit somewhere else, sure. Okay, it's time to walk. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.